Playoffs are back, and what an opening weekend it was, with all four games being decided by single digits, two of them going to overtime, and three saw the road team come out on top. It's a sports pen on ESPN-UP, Tanner Hoops with you Monday afternoon, glad to have you along. Opening weekend of the NFL postseason wildcard weekend did not disappoint. We're going to break all that down over the course of the next hour. In about 15 minutes, Northern Michigan hockey coach Grant Petoni is going to join me. His team with a sweep over number 11 Bowling Green this weekend down in Ohio. Plus, I'm going to talk football with somebody who knows a thing or two about not only football in Marquette, but playing football on one of the biggest stages in the world. Former Northern Michigan wide receiver Marcus Tucker currently plays with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. He's back in town. And he's going to be in the studio with me here in about 30 minutes. Don't miss that interview. Plus, we'll talk a little college basketball. Sparty against Michigan yesterday. What we learned from that. Tua Tungavailoa. It's decision day. Plus, I've got some John Tortorella audio. All that more coming up over the course of next hour. It's going to be a fun show. I tell you what, though, let's start with Wild Card Weekend from the NFL because there's a lot to dig into there. Let's start with our pick'em standings. And I just want to paraphrase this by saying this new playoff format we have is going to make things really interesting down the stretch because, as you know, we've been going win-loss, game-by-game. You know, you get one win in the win column, one loss in the loss column. If you get a game right or wrong, what have you. Well, now... The games are weighted, meaning if you get a game right, you get two wins in the win column. You get a game wrong, you get two losses. And that's made things really interesting here as we get into Divisional Weekend, where, by the way, it's going to become four wins in the win column for every game you pick correctly, four in the loss column for every game you get wrong. It's going to double every succeeding round. And it's made things pretty tight because Jake Durant still has a one-game lead. I am one game back of him, but now Ryan Steeg is one game back of me, and Tyree Smith is one game back of him. Plus, John Michael Hoefling right back into the fray. Here's what the standings look like right now. Jake is 56-32. and 32. I'm 55-33. and 33. We're still separated by just one game, but the pack is starting to catch up because Jake and I went 1-3 and three this weekend. The only game we got right was picking Seattle over Philadelphia. Otherwise, we incorrectly picked Buffalo, New England, and New Orleans. Ryan Stieg had a good weekend. He picked Houston and Seattle. He did pick the Patriots and the Saints. Tyree Smith at 53-35. and 35. He had Tennessee and Seattle, but he also had New Orleans and Buffalo. And then John Michael Hoefling climbing back into it at 49-39. and 39. He picked Houston, Tennessee, and Seattle. He got 3-4 right this weekend. So that's a look at our pick'em standings. Let's break it down, though, game by game and what we learned this weekend. Starting Saturday afternoon, where the Bills jump out to a 16-0 lead, and then Deshaun Watson kicks it into beast mode. As he comes roaring back, he leads the Texans to a 19-16 lead late. Josh Allen does just enough to get Stephen Hauschka in position, one of the most prominent postseason kickers of our generation, by the way. And he ties the game up at 19-all to send it to overtime. Bills had a shot. They were knocking on the door field goal range but the Houston defense comes up big and then Deshaun Watson delivers one of the most incredible plays that you'll see setting up the game-winning field goal by Kymie Fairbairn 22-19 the Texans win it over Buffalo later that night Tennessee does what no team does in the postseason they win at Foxborough and they do so 20-13 who else is in love with Mike Vrabel Waking up here on Monday, who else has Mike Vrabel as one of their new favorite coaches in football? Because you knew it was going to take somebody from the Patriots organization, someone from the Patriot family, from that Belichick umbrella, 
to do what the Titans did this weekend. Now, don't get me wrong, they needed a good performance from Ryan Tannehill, and I guess anytime you throw just 15 times for 72 yards, I guess that's good. I mean, he did his job. He did what he needed to. Derrick Henry was pretty great. 34 carries for 182 yards and one TD. Anytime you get performances like that, and you can do so at Foxborough, plus Mike Vrabel, I don't, I don't want to use the wrong word here, but uh, he messed is probably the cleanest way I can do it. He messed with Belichick's mind by using his time management tactics that he learned from Belichick against Belichick, and it was one of the most poetic things I think I've ever seen. I don't have anything against Belichick. It's just how great was it to see Mike Vrabel just undress his former coach on national TV in the postseason. The Titans do that. And they get the win over New England 20-13 to on Saturday night. Yesterday afternoon, it was a good one down in NOLA as the Saints climbed back after trailing at halftime. They trailed by 10 in the second half. They got back within 3 at 20-17. to And Minnesota, just enough to hang on as they send it to overtime. And they get the game-winning touchdown grab from Kyle Rudolph to seal the deal. They went 26-20. to uh, Minnesota just seems to own New Orleans in the postseason. The only time the Vikings have ever lost to the Saints in the playoffs, that controversial NFC Championship game back in 2009 with Brett Farvick quarterback. The Vikings are on to the divisional round, pulling the upset yesterday. And then last night, Carson Wentz throws just four passes, one completion for three yards, in his postseason debut, he gets knocked out. Josh McCown comes in. 17-9, Seattle gets the victory over Philadelphia. How sore do you think Josh McCown is waking up today? He did play pretty well, 18-24 for 174 yards, but he was sacked six times. He did pull, I think it was a hamstring yesterday. It was somewhere in that region. Pulled a hamstring yesterday. I pulled a hamstring just getting out of my chair here in the studio. How do you think that 40-year-old Josh McCown is feeling coming out of retirement this year and gets put in for an opportunity like that? Regardless of whether that was the last game of his career, I hope that he comes back to work for us at ESPN once his playing career is officially over. So we now know the pairings for the NFL Divisional Round. We know that next Saturday afternoon, I should say this Saturday afternoon, we'll have the Vikings at the 49ers. That'll be the afternoon game on Saturday, followed by an 8:15 kick for the Titans at Ravens. Then Sunday, you've got Houston at Kansas City. That's set for a 3:05 start. Then at 6:40, the Packers at home as they take on the Seahawks. That game, by the way, will feature the only two quarterbacks left in the playoffs who have won a Super Bowl. Otherwise, there's a lot of inexperience out there across the board. Here are a few numbers, though, and some stats that we can give you from this weekend. Since the NFL moved to its current playoff format back in 1990, this is just the second time that wildcard weekend has seen all four games decided by one score. All four games have been one-score games. Only the second time that's happened since the NFL adopted its current playoff format back in 1990. Only other time it's happened, 1991. So this is something that we haven't seen in almost 30 years. All four games on Wild Card Weekend turned out to be barn burners, all decided by just one score. By the way, you want some better for stat of the day? Well, Tom Brady and the Patriots have had to go through prominent future Hall of Famers in the AFC throughout the years like Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger. But neither of those two could ever go into Gillette and beat Bilicek and Brady during the postseason. Instead, 
the only three quarterbacks to come into Foxborough during the postseason and beat Belichick and Brady, Joe Flacco, Mark Sanchez, and now Ryan Tannehill. Peyton Manning couldn't do it. Ben Roethlisberger couldn't do it. Flacco, Sanchez, Tannehill could. Because football. Those are the three that go into Foxborough and they get the job done over the mighty New England Patriots. Now I want to talk about that game for just a couple more minutes because there's a lot to digest there. Is the dynasty over? That's the biggest question. Is Tom Brady out in New England? That might be the next biggest question. And I think those two questions tie into each other. There might be a little bit of uncertainty as to Belichick's future. Now let me tell you what I think. I believe that Brady is gone unless Belichick can absolutely sell him on the idea that they're going to bring in notable weapons for him this offseason. Because this team was not built to go to a Super Bowl. They were built to be good, to be above average, right about to be a three seed at 12-4. and four. They actually had a better record going into the postseason this year than they did last year when they won the Super Bowl. They were 11-5 and five going into the playoffs last year. Yet this team wasn't built for a deep run. Because Tom Brady's at the point in his career where the Patriots aren't going to get to the Super Bowl because of him. His level of play no longer elevates the Patriots to being Super Bowl contenders. Now, he needs weapons. He needs support around him. And if Belichick can convince him this offseason during their private meetings that he, as the head coach and GM, is going to supply Brady with those weapons, I think Brady will stay. If not, there's no sense in him going back to New England even if he's playing for the greatest coach of all time. Because New England was not built to be a Super Bowl team this year. And going into that game Saturday night, it was very likely it could have been Tom Brady's last at Gillette Stadium. But do you think that he, being the competitor that he is, is going to let his last throw in a Patriot uniform be a pick six to a former teammate? By the way, this could arguably be stat of the day. This weekend marks just the first time in Brady's career in which he has thrown a pick six in back-to-back games. He did it in week 17 against the Dolphins, and he did it Saturday night to encapsulate the Titans' victory. Both times it was a former teammate who did it too, who picked him off and took it back to the end zone. So with Tom Brady and his future going forward, I don't believe he's going to retire this year. I really don't. There's just no way that he's going to let his career end on a pick six. And Brady is a competitor. I mean, here's the thing. Brady is one of those guys that is not going to limp off into the end of his career. He's not going to limp into the twilight. He's a guy that holds himself to a high enough standard he is going to want to go out on top. Now, you think about some quarterbacks who did limp off. Peyton Manning certainly limped off from his personal standpoint, but he got to go out on top in the sense that he had a good enough team to help him get to the Super Bowl. If Bill Belichick can convince Brady that they're going to do that, they're going to give him what Peyton Manning got in Denver for his Super Bowl 50 run in Peyton's final year, then Brady would probably come back. If not, he's going to be looking elsewhere. I don't believe he's going to look to retirement because he wants to end his career on a strong note. And if he goes to a team that's got good enough weapons, he can do that. Maybe that includes a Super Bowl run. I don't think that is the end-all be-all. He's got six rings. Super Bowl rings don't matter to him as much as having a good season to go out on top on. He's already got six rings. He doesn't need any more to cement his legacy. But he doesn't want to be one of those guys who limps off into the sunset. He doesn't want to do what Eli Manning is doing right now. 
He doesn't want to do what, well, Brett Favre was another example. You thought about a few years ago, he's getting to the later stages of his career with the Vikings and the Jets. And, you know, he had some good moments with the Vikings. I can't really think of any good moments with the Jets. Maybe he had some there. But you're like, is he retired? Is he not retired? Come on, Brett, man. You got to go out on top. You got to go out while you're still playing some monicum of good football. I do believe that Tom Brady's relationship with Belichick is fractured and it's being covered up for the most part so that they can get along from a professional standpoint. I really do believe that there's a strong possibility that years after one or both of them, Belichick and Brady, retire, that it's going to come out that those two have had a fractured relationship ever since Deflategate. I really do suspect that. And they are making it work, putting on a happy face so the Patriots don't have that distraction, and they can continue to win together, be successful together. But... After one of them retires, there's no more working relationship. One of them writes a tell-all book or goes on TV or something like that. And this comes out that Belichick and Brady's relationship has been fractured for the last few years. So if Belichick fails to build up around Brady this offseason, what does the future hold for Tom? I think he's way too much of a competitor to retire and let the way this season ended, the way the season gone as a whole really, be the last of his career. He doesn't need another ring. He just needs to finish strong. What would be a team that would give him a chance to finish his career strong? Now, a lot of people say the 49ers. It's where he grew up. And I'm sure there's probably some interest there. But here's the thing. Whether it's right or wrong, as long as Jimmy G is still winning for them, for the Niners, they're probably going to stick with him. Whether that's right or wrong. A team that I think would be a great fit for Tom Brady would be Indianapolis. Because the jury is still out on whether Jacoby Brissett is their guy going forward or not. You have a great offensive line there. That'd be attractive to Brady. You've got some pretty good weapons there. Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron, they're pretty good tight end set. You've got T.Y. Hilton. You've got Marlon Mack. You have a defense that's pretty good. That's a, it's a good defense. It's not tearing the league up by storm, but it's still a pretty good defense. And then you've got Frank Reich, who's been excellent as an offensive coach. I think he'd be really attractive to Tom Brady late in his career. There's certainly possibilities out there for Brady. He's going to have his options. And that may be his leverage to Belichick and the Patriots. you got to go out and build around me. Because I'm going to be 43 years old. And if you want me back, you're going to have to build up around me. To me, that's going to be the most interesting thing this offseason, is to see what they do around Tom Brady. And if he'll be a Patriot next year. Because I do believe he'll be in the league next year but what jersey is he going to wear? Let's take a timeout. When we come back, I'll be chatting with Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni, his team coming off a huge sweep this weekend down in Ohio. That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Joined now on the ESPN-UP phone line by Northern Michigan head hockey coach Grant Patoni, his team sweep number 11 bowling green this weekend make it three in a row for the cats over ranked opponents coach appreciate you taking the time congrats on your weekend first of all did you feel like your guys came out ready to play or did it take a little bit to shake off the holiday rust you know the the thing that we had to be careful of is that uh, going into bowling green they, they played on monday so they, they had a game coming out of the break played a, a emotional game against miami and their former head coach chris bergeron so uh, we had to do a couple things differently in practice just 
to to kind of make sure our team was battle tested going into the game. Um, you know, the, the good the good thing for us is we had some players back that we that we were missing from um, four games in a row. Craig had been hurt, uh, and then and then you add in Vanderbeck and Schultz, the transfers that were uh, eligible to play at Christmas, and um, you know that that really gave us a boost because we were playing with ten healthy forwards. And, um, and you add those guys to your, to your team um, gives you gives you some confidence going in. But we had talked about you know over the course of the year, Fridays had been a concern for us, and um, you know we're a, we were a 500 team on Friday, and on Saturdays we're seven and three. So you know there's there's the same two teams play back to back games, so it's not a personnel issue. It was, it was a preparation issue, and um, you know adjusted a couple things that way. And I wanted to make sure that we came out on Friday. And, um, you know, gave ourselves a chance to win because those are the biggest things. You, you might not always win the game, but you got to give yourself a chance. And um, you know, Friday obviously was a, a big night for us and kind of controlled the whole game. And um, then going into Saturday, um, you know, that's the danger of um, you know winning a game on Friday, being on the road. Uh, that home team really is going to focus in, and uh, court, the coach is going to make sure that you know he has the players' full attention. And uh, we knew on Saturday that it was going to be a really challenging game, and they were going to. Um, you know, give everything that they had. So um, to come out with a victory after all the, the funny things that happened in the game and the penalties and, and being down and um, you know losing Luke Volton to a to a penalty, you know, in the second period, halfway through the second period, and then um, losing Locker and and in the third period, still being down three to one, and then Joe Nardi starts to cramp. So now you're really short in the bench. Um, the fact those guys continued to, to fight and for Joe to score the first goal to get us back going the right way was, was a great effort. Well, Coach, let's talk about the games individually, but first I want to ask you about your new transfers. For those of our listeners who haven't gotten a chance to see them play yet, what did they bring to the table? What did you see from them this weekend? You know, both guys are um, offensive players, but they, they kind of get it done differently. Um, uh, A.J. Vanderbeck was a player that we really recruited hard um, in the recruitment process when he's playing junior hockey. Uh, he's a natural goal scorer. You know, over his, his two years in junior hockey, including the playoffs, he scored almost 100 goals. So it came down to, to us and, and one other school, and, um, you know, he ended up uh, going the other direction and uh, got to that school, and it's a Big Ten school, and, and spent, you know, about two weeks there, and I think he realized, you know, maybe this wasn't what I was hoping it was going to be. Um, and, um, you know, made a decision at that point. He gave us a call and said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm leaving here. Would you take me again? And uh, you're still interested in me. And, and it was an absolute yes right away for us. And, uh, so we really knew what we had in AJ. Um, you know, he's he can really shoot a puck. He's got a lot of similarities to Robbie Payne, where he's got a great stick, um, got a great offensive brain, kind of can find that open ice. And, um, you know, I think in, in his first weekend he had three points and it was a, um, a plus four or five. Uh, in the first two games, so obviously he had a huge impact. And uh, Brandon Schultz is a um, was kind of a different scenario where uh, he was a guy that you know we had I watched in junior hockey. He's an Eastern kid, and usually you know you don't recruit a lot of those guys because a lot of them end up staying home. And uh, ended up you know watching him playing for for in the USHL, and, and he went to Northeastern, and um, just for whatever reason didn't work there. And was was friends with people on our team that had had. Um, uh, that had been here and, and was talking to them and um, literally just said, hey, you know, if I come, are you guys interested? And, um, it was, a, again, it was like a boy. You know, I remember him being a really good player. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that, you know, guys like that, you know, that can, can skate like that and can generate offense. You know, they're, they're not available very often. So, um, you know, with him it was more of a, 
we're going to kind of take a chance on him. And, um, you know, it was a great, it was a great, um, great chance that we took because his, his speed and, you know, his ability to play in the power play and penalty kill. And AJ is probably more of a power play guy. Um, you know, Brandon can play both special teams and, um, you know, he's just going to keep getting better. You know, you know, a couple major scoring chances that one breakaway one night and the other night he almost ended the game, um, in, th- in the third period on, uh, or in you know, overtime, excuse me, on, on uh, Saturday night. So, um, both guys are real big additions to our team and, and they're only going to keep getting better with more games and more practice. Well, coach, looking at the box score from Friday night, they outshot you in every period. They had a 40 to 23 advantage there. You had 14 penalty minutes compared to their eight. Somehow that all added up to a 5-2 win for your guys. What did you do right to help you fight through those numbers? You know what? Sometimes shots can be misleading and, and I don't, you know, know that always shots are exactly accurate. Um, but I, I do know the scoring chances. Um, that's more important to us than, than what the shots were. We didn't, we didn't give them really many opportunities uh, inside the dots. They had a lot of perimeter shots, um, you know, and, and our opportunities were great A scoring chances. And at the end, you know, we did we outchanced them. I think it was seventeen to, to eight. So um, that that checked right in the box there. And um, you know, the, the penalties are you know, Tanner. That's an area that that is a concern for me. Um, we have never been a team that is over penalized since you know since we've been here, and except for this season. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why that is. Um, you know, we're not a team that, you know, is, um, you know, trying to run around and, and, you know, be out of control and, and some of those factors. And, and it's an area that, that, uh, this week we're gonna, we're gonna make sure it's adjusted. And, you know, there's, there's some things that, you know, coaches can do that, uh, really gets players' attention in that area. And, um, you know, we, cause we, we gotta, we gotta fix that because, we can't always rely on our penalty kill to, you know, to, to, to stop, you know, five out of six every night. So, um, area we have to get better. Um, uh, but overall, Friday night was, uh, as good of a game as that we've played on the road this year for sure because of, you know, the quality of the opponent. Talk with Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni, his team sweeping Bowling Green this weekend. Coach, Saturday night's game, your team had to rally in the third period. They force overtime and they come away with the victory. Tell me about that game and how you guys were able to come back. Well, the first, you know, until they got the first goal of the game, um, you know, we were talking, you know, as, as a coaching staff, you know, we felt like that first goal, you know, was going to be about as good as gold. And, and you didn't really think that it, there was going to be a lot of goals scored in that game because of how hard everybody was playing and there wasn't much room on the rink. And, um, neither team was really getting a lot of great looks, um, you know, and they get the power play goal. And, um, you know, so it's, you know, it's a one goal game going into third. And, and that power play goal was came off of a five-minute major that we took, and then we took another penalty on there, so that it caused us to be down five on three. And over those five minutes, you know, five of them being five on four, excuse me, three of them five on four, and two of them being five on three, we only gave up one goal. And, you know, we felt like if, you know, going into the third period, hey, in the, we've scored, um, you know, we were plus 20 in the third period, and it's, it's our best period, and we've scored the most goals, um, you know, of, of probably anybody in our league in the third period. So we just... We felt like if we got through that last minute to start the third period, we had a chance. And, you know, we came out and, and, and killed that off, and then we got a chance in the power play. Uh, tied the game up, and, and then the game got funny. And there was, you know, m- multiple penalties. Um, you know, I think probably for, you know, six of the seven minutes in a row, we ended up being on the penalty kill. And, um, you know, they ended up scoring two goals there. Um, and then, and then, then we got a bunch of power plays and, and, you know, and all of a sudden now we got a five on three for two full minutes and, 
you know, you're thinking, okay, here's our chance. And, um, you know, we didn't, didn't really get a lot of great looks on that. And, and now on the bench, you're going, oh boy, um, you know, there's only a couple minutes left. We've got to get two here. And, you know, so we, you know, and again, down guys down the country's leading goal scorer. You know, Griff was out for those those times when we needed to score. And um, you know, the first goal is a great play behind the net. Um, you know, we just we kept the puck alive by by closing down an exit on that they were trying to get on the wall and uh, put it in an area where we could recover it. And, and we hit Joe Nardi going to the net, and, and Joe just kind of pounded one home. And, um, you know, now you're in striking distance, and and it was 25 seconds later. You know, right away, boom, put the puck right in, and um, again recovered the puck. You know, and, and a lot of that is, um, none of that's tactical. That's just, you know, sheer will and, and, and work ethic. And, you know, it ends up being a kind of a one-on-one situation of which guy can come out of it. And, and we recovered it and had a shot uh, towards the net. And, you know, Grant Lovin's a guy that, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot to him about, you know, you got, like, you play in the power play and your job is to deflect pucks and recover pucks and screen the goalie. And, um, you know, this was a six-on-five scenario, but he deflects a puck and all of a sudden, boom, it's a tie game. And, you know, you mentioned to the guys on the bench, hey, you know, hey, we haven't done anything yet here. You know, and um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta finish five minutes of overtime because it's, hey, the, if you win or you lose, it's just the same as a 60-minute win or loss. And and I mentioned to the guys, I said, hey, as much as we we want to win this game, you know, we want to make sure that you know we come out of here with points. So you know, make sure that you're you're aware of you know we're not doing any risky plays. We're not. Um, you know, hoping for things, and we don't want to give up a two-on-one, and um, you know, or an odd man rush or something like that. And you know, we get the odd man rush because they're they're playing a little bit. Um, you know, they're trying to run a face-off play that, um, you know, if it works, you know, it might generate some offense. But there's danger in that. That you know, the ice is at that point. You know, the ice is a little bit chippy and a little bit bouncy, and that probably went into our strategy of making sure that we just you know played the game and, and took what the game gave us and. Um, got an opportunity off a face-off where puck bounces over one of their guys when they're going, you know, forward towards the net. It bounces out, and boom, off we go two-on-one. Um, you know, there was an area that we felt like um, with their goaltender that, that, you know, we, you know, saw an area where maybe we could have an opportunity to score if, if we had a chance. And, and Darian, um, you know, got that two-on-one. You know, he put it right where we talked about it. And, um, you know, for him, coming back off injury and, you know, having a, a season that's kind of had a lot of ups and downs for him, and you know, to come out and score the first goal of the weekend for us to get us going, and then score the last goal on Saturday to win the game. Um, you know, that that was a great showing by him. Coach, as you alluded to, you scored twice in a 25 second span late in the game on Saturday night. What was the mood on your bench? Was that something that the guys believed they could pull off, or what was the vibe you were getting? You know, it, it, it's funny. As a coach, you can really tell when your bench is alive. And we talk a lot about that. Um, you know, it, it, when when you have energy and excitement on the bench, it, if you get scored on, it doesn't really deflate you because you you have that. You know, by that point, you have so much focus in the game, and um, you know to be down and uh, tie it up and then give up two. And you know, it's almost like a it, it, a lot of times it, when you have your five on three and you don't score, you know that can be a really deflating moment and and for teams, and it usually gives the other team energy. And if you look at hockey you know it's almost like you know when you score a shorthanded goal or you kill a five on three you you win the game the majority of the time so um, a lot of those factors were going against us but um, you know it was just the continued effort to just keep putting pucks in areas where hey you know what if we if we continue to put it here and and over this minute and a half just stay with what we've done um, you know we, we got a chance and you know I haven't I haven't been part of one of those in a long time where you score 
um, two six-on-five goals, especially that quick. Um, so, it, you know, there was obviously a, a lot of belief with the group, and, um, you know, sometimes you over the course of the year, you know, and I've told the guys, you know, early in the year, I felt like when we were winning all those games in a row and we were unbeaten in seven, I didn't, I didn't feel like we were playing championship caliber hockey, and we were winning, but I didn't think we were playing great. I said it always evens out. You know, if, you, if you're getting by with winning and, and not playing great, you know, you're going to end up playing some games where you're supposed to win because you play great and, and you don't. So that, that happened to us. Then for the next, you know, little stretch there where we had, you know, some, some losses, I felt like a lot of those games really played well and we didn't get the outcome we deserved. And, and maybe on Saturday night that was a little bit of uh, a payback for those games that we probably should have won. Um, you know, it evened us out and, and put us in a chance where if we continue to play the right way, you get a chance, and then you have to execute, and it ended up working out for us that night. Coach, you went with Nolan and Nett both games this weekend. Saturday night, he made a career-high 19 saves in one period. That was the second period. How good was he in Nett this weekend? You know what? he's He's been, you know, if you look back even to when he kind of came to relief, um, you know, against Michigan Tech on Saturday night, you know, he, from that point on, and, and it was, you know, the next game we went back to John and Nolan came back in relief again, on Friday night, you know, his, his save percentage has, you know, is probably about 950. Um, you know, he's 7-1 and one in the league. And um, all the numbers that, you know, you, if you think about, you go, wow, you know, it, those are, are real high-end type numbers. Um, it all kind of came to fruition on Saturday. And, you know, that was a game that on Friday they had a bunch of shots. I don't think they had a bunch of scoring chances. And I and, I, and no one played very good. He saved, he saved all the pucks he was supposed to save. And, um, you know, that's a sign of a good goalie. Uh, the sign of a goalie who has the ability to be great is to make saves that you probably should make. And he made a few of those on the power play on, on Saturday where they had made an adjustment. And when teams make adjustments, you know, they're going to get a look or two before you can catch it. And uh, they made an adjustment and, and made a scene play and, and to a backdoor one-timer and no one, you know, flashed his pad over there and made a big-time save. So um, he he was great on Saturday, and, and hopefully he can use that as you know, springboard to continue to grow as a, as a player. Well, you get to come back home this weekend, take on Anchorage, a team you haven't seen yet this year. Tell me about getting ready for them. Well, they, you know, on, on Saturday they ended up, um, you know, they beat they beat Lake State, and and even though Lake State hasn't had a great year, um, people got to remember when the year started, they were picked to finish third in our league uh, because of the personnel on their team, and they've been in. You know, I think they've had, you know, of their of their losses, they've had, you know, I think fifteen one goal losses. Um, that wasn't the case on Saturday. That was a two-goal loss to, a, to an Anchorage team that, um, you know, with their new coach, they, they play hard, um, they play honest, and they have good goaltending. So, you know, it's a team that we have to be uh, prepared to start the game ready. You know, and then we've had, you know, teams teams that have been in, in that, you know, area of the standings for us. Some of them have caused us trouble, you know, for our preparation, and, and we end up behind the eight ball early in the game and have to come back and, and win the game. Um, we got to make sure that we bring the same type of focus and energy to the, to the rink on uh, Monday through Thursday to be able to be ready to play on Friday. Coach, last thing before I let you go, as if the weekend couldn't get any better for you, your Vikings winners yesterday in overtime. Tell me about the reaction in the Petoli house when Kyle Rudolph pulled down that touchdown. Well, I can tell you the reaction at the Petoli house, texting with my brother halfway through the game, and I thought we were going to win. And then we started to do Vikings things again. And uh, when Delvin fumbled, I was like, oh, here we go. And, and Breeze is bringing them down the field. And then all of a sudden we get a break. The Vikings never get a break. We get a break, and then 
we get to overtime. And when we win the toss, I'm thinking, can we really score a touchdown? Can we really score a touchdown? And all of a sudden, here comes the Vikes and Kirk Cousins bringing us down the field and all the things that are gone against us. And, uh, you know, we get to the end zone and we run Delvin twice. And I'm thinking, oh, like, if, we, if he's not getting in, you know, we can't give him a field goal. And then when they throw the alley-oop up to, to Rudolph in the corner, there was a lot of high-stepping and high-fiving and cheering at our house. We're alive for one more week. I get to wear my Viking shirt to work today. Um, good things are happening over here. Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni, his team coming off a sweep over number 11 Bowling Green this weekend. Appreciate the time as always, Coach. Best of luck going forward. We'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, Tanner. Let's take a time out. Marcus Tucker, former Northern Michigan wide receiver, joins me next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Saturday night, Vince Carter became the first player in NBA history to appear in a game in four different decades. The 1990s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s. Michigan State moves back into the top 10 in this week's men's basketball poll. Sparty is 8th following yesterday's win over Michigan. The Wolverines dropped to 19th. And finally, a study conducted by the National Retail Federation found that 20% of all gifts purchased for Valentine's Day are given to pets. Valentine's Day coming up next month. Maybe you're buying a gift for your furry friend. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along. A couple of guests join me in studio, including Marcus Tucker, former Northern Michigan wide receiver. How you doing, man? Good to have you here. I'm um, glad to be here, man. How, how's things going your way? <laughs> I'm enjoying it here, man. I, you know, yeah. you're with the Hamilton Tiger Cats now. They made the Grey Cup this year. You had a chance to be part of that, and you know, I wanted to know: is it warmer here at all than it is in Canada, or what, what is it like? Uh... Uh, the answer to your question is no. No, uh, Hamilton is is definitely warmer than Marquette. So, <laughs> coming from Marquette to Hamilton, I I, I get a little warmth uh, when when I leave here. So, what brings you back? Um, well, Dustin Branchow uh, and his team at, at Advantage Sports Network uh, training, I'm sorry. Uh, that's why I'm back. Excited to work out here, man. This is where I come in the offseason. I get my grind here and excited, man. We got a good group of guys um, that are going to be helping us push one another this entire offseason. I'm here till May, so I'm just ready. January just started, and today is going to be workout uh, number one. Well, not workout number one, but it's kind of to get the ball rolling um, to where I get bigger, stronger, faster, and, and get ready to go get that great cup this year. You still keep in touch with a lot of people around here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, plenty of guys that I still hang out with, um, plenty of people in the community um, that I hook up with and, and you know, just have good times, talk about our old times at Northern. Um, it's just good. I'll let you introduce who else we have in studio here with us. Uh, this is this right here. Uh, this is my girlfriend, uh, Jocelyn Hall, who uh, came with me. So, <laughs> And Jocelyn, we were talking off air. You're from Dallas. Not a Cowboys fan. Not though. a Cowboys fan. Not a Cowboys fan. <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe. Because they do have a new coach. Yeah, that so. I don't know if he's still popular around here, but people know him well yeah. around here. <laughs> Um, they have potential, but we'll see. Okay, all right. We'll see in a few years. We'll give it a few years. Either of you, do you have a team? Uh, my team used to be the Chiefs, but mm. 
once I got to the NFL, I, I <laughs> felt like I couldn't anymore. have a team. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't have a team. Now I'm a I'm a professional athlete now, so my team is the Hamilton Tiger yep. Cats. So Absolutely, that, so that's what it is. I want to ask you about the Great Cup because you were in there earlier this year. What was that yeah. like? Um, well, the experience was was fun. Um, I really enjoyed it, uh, and the CFL is a very fast paced game, um, unlike the NFL where you get 40 seconds of of um, play clock to kind of catch your breath and get ready for the next rep. The CFL is 25 seconds. Um, the field is 65 yards wide, not 50. The field is 120 yards long, uh, not 100. So, um, and you also have a waggling start. So you're starting 10 to 15 yards behind the ball and you're anticipating the snap. Um, so in order to run a 10-yard curl, it's now a 20-yard curl. Um, so all these little sub, sub, subtile differences uh, make a difference in your conditioning, your cardio. And uh, so you really got to be up to beat with uh, being able to play at a fast pace and being able to run all day. Uh, so it's, it was pretty exciting. It was sort of a change for me, but I, I know I'm a cheetah. So uh, being able to do that uh, wasn't too tough of a transition for me. It was just different. Tell me about making the transition. You know, you talk about the game style, what have you, how it's different in the CFL. How about just moving to another country and spending half the year there? Was that a bit of a transition? Oh, absolutely. Um, I felt like being in Canada, uh, it's such a melting pot. You know, uh, in America, here we call our country an American, uh, we call our country a melting pot. But in Canada, I, I truly get to see the essence of different cultures, you know, uh, because when you come to America, you're kind of conformed to the American way of things, right? But in Canada, uh, everybody lives together in harmony, and wherever they came from or whatever their culture or heritage is, uh, they still do those things, um, and everybody accepts it. Everybody's loving. Um, everybody is full force behind it, and, and they live together in the community um, still um recognizing their heritage and history and um, still being able to kind of do their things but also work together you know so I thought that was pretty dope to see um, in a different light rather than growing up American you know do you uh, see some uh, resemblance between Marquette and Hamilton oh yeah absolutely um, the people that 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 to me is the biggest uh, resemblance to me um, Marquette has great people uh, Hamilton, Canada has great people. Um, when I came to Marquette, I, I tell people all the time, I was, it was a culture shock for me in a sense of people were so overly nice. I thought it was like somebody trying to get over on me, but it's not like that. It's it's literally these people care about you in this community, and um, they ultimately want to see you be successful and be the best you you could be. Tell me about your time at Northern and how that helped you develop as a football player. Um. The best development uh, that Northern did for me, one, it made me grow up as a man. Um, number two, uh, I was coached by, to me, the best coach, uh, the greatest coach I've had, a, you know, in my entire career. Um, one being Marcus Knight, two being um, Chris Ostrowski. Um, but what Marcus Knight did for me, he was my wide receivers coach here while I was at Northern. But what he did for me as a player, man, he was able to take me from just the raw talent and, you know, just being able to make plays and being athletic and being explosive. He took me from 
just a good player to being a technician, a great route runner, to have great hand placement, um, to being able to get in and out of my breaks um, at an elite level. And uh, that's really what helped me uh, come in with sort of a, uh, uh, I came in with sort of a head start kind of to the receivers when I got to Pittsburgh, even though I wasn't a big name guy, uh, I was turning heads because of my route running, because of my speed, because of my explosive, all of these things that I uh, displayed at Northern, but all those things came through the coach and the guidance of Marcus Knight and Chris Ostrowski. So. During your time Huge. with the Steelers, did you have any interactions with some guys that maybe we would know from the NFL? <laughs> yeah, of course, man. Um, uh, all of those guys are my guys, man. You know, A.B., Le'Veon, uh, Juju, man, James Conner, um, Man, the list goes on and on. Uh, Joe Hayden, uh, all these guys, man, um, love those guys. And my hat goes off to all of those guys in Pittsburgh that's still grinding. Um, I really appreciated my time there. Well, now you're up in Hamilton. you got a really good group there, and you're looking forward to having what should be another successful year. You've got Masoli re-signed. Yep. Tell me about him as a quarterback. Um, Masoli's a, a true leader. Um, he's one of the guys that commands the huddle. Um, and when you look in his eyes, he's a confident uh, quarterback. And there's nothing to me as a receiver more uh, needed in a quarterback than a guy who has confidence. Because when the quarterback has confidence in itself, um, that kind of oozes off into everyone that's on that field with him. Because he'll grab you and say, hey, I'm coming your way. You know, I believe in you. I trust in you. We've worked too hard to get here. You know, things of that nature to where um, it kind of gives you an extra boost. Um, and I'm pretty sure um, people that play sports know what I'm talking about. When there's a guy who's just a leader and he brings something out of you um, to take your game to another level um, that there, that's you know you can't you can't really coach that when he went down earlier this summer it turned out to be a season-ending injury and Dane Evans came in and led you guys to the Grey Cup mm -hmm. what was that like tell me about him taking charge of the team man Dane heck of a guy uh, I couldn't say more about Dane. Um, and really him coming in and doing what he did is just a testament to who he is as a person. Um, every time he got an opportunity, he stepped up and he did what he had to do uh, to make his name be known, um, to lead our team. And those um, don't go unnoticed. Um, I think he's a heck of a guy. I couldn't say more more about him. Tell me about your coaching staff up there in Hamilton. Um you got you got Coach O, uh, not not Chris Ostrowski, <laughs> Orlando, uh, Coach Orlando. Um, but yeah, we got Coach O. Uh, we got Tommy Condell. Um, those are two of the guys who um, kind of uh, run it for for me um, when it comes to my aspect as far as playing receiver um, from an offensive standpoint. Um, but then another guy that I love, Jeff Reinbold, who is an absolute monster. I love that guy, and and I and he's a special teams coach, and I, I'd run through a brick wall for him. Um, so we we got great coaches. We got Mark Washington um, over on the defensive side of things, uh, who just got resigned as well. So uh, we're excited, man. We got a great coaching staff. We got great players, and and we really believe in one another, man. We're we're all in and. We're ready to see what 2020 has for us. Uh.
I tell you what, Mark, as you think about some of your time here at Northern and uh, as it helped you develop uh, as a Canadian football player, do you have a favorite memory from the CFL or from your time at Northern? You know, I know you could say the Grey Cup, but what's been your favorite memory as a football player? Um, my favorite memory as a football player, sheesh. Uh, I would probably say my favorite memory thus far um, was probably um, getting the call that I was um, getting the opportunity to go to the Steelers rookie minicamp. Um, they gave me the opportunity to try out. And um, when I got there, um, you know, just to be able to make a play that led me to being a part of that team, that's something I'm never going to forget. And then a year later, um, I remember, you know, just grinding, grinding, grinding. And I remember uh, a year later, um, we were playing the Carolina Panthers. And um, I kind of got in late in the game um, on offense. And I remember just making big play after big play after big play. Um, that game, I, I led the... Uh, I led the team in, in reception yards. I had 85 reception yards. I want to say I had five or six receptions uh, against the Carolina Panthers in the preseason. And uh, it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, hey, if I got an opportunity to make plays, um, it shows what I can do um, from a receiver standpoint and how I can have impact on the game. So I, I, I love that memory. That's probably my favorite thus far. What do you like to do when you're out here in Marquette? Um, so I'm gonna uh, just linked up with again with uh, Advantage Sports Training, and so um, I'm gonna be having a wide receiver U, um, which is basically like a wide receiver school um, where guys are gonna come and we're gonna train, and I got, I'm gonna have a program laid out for those guys, uh, high school, middle school wide receivers in this area who want to get better, who want to see their game go to the next level, uh, come train with me at Advantage. Um, I'm excited. I'll have more details for you, but you guys can follow me on um, my social medias, Twitter, Instagram, just have Uno, and um, you'll you'll see that those things are coming up. Um, also, I'll start substitute teaching, so I'm excited about that, getting some of these kids' lives and kind of show that, you know, you don't have to be one-dimensional. You know, you can do multiple things. Um, so I have that. Um, I'm going to be substitute teaching. Um, I have music as well that's coming out. A lot of people don't know, but I play the piano. I also sing as well. So um, I'm just doing, you know, I have my hands in many different things, and I'm excited about what's to come. Working Te on a lot. Teaching music, anything like that, is that kind of a plan for life after football? Um. Listen, Maybe. I don't know. I just know I love music, um, and I just want to, you know, put what I have into my music, and we'll see where it goes. If you guys like it, then, you know, maybe I'll keep it coming, but, you know, I just want to put something together and, and get my music out there, and let's see how it goes. Well, now that you're back in the States, do you pay much attention to the NFL playoffs? Uh, I watched yesterday for sure. Mm -hmm. I watched the first game. Um, I watched the Vikings and the Saints yesterday, and that was a heck of a battle. Um, so I, I do do what I can when I'm when you know football's on and it's available. I'm definitely gonna tune in. Um, but outside of that, no, not really. Do you have a Super Bowl pick? Uh, if I had to make a choice right now, I'm gonna go with the Ravens. Okay. Um, 
I think they're going to get it done. I'm thinking Ravens Green Bay. All right. That's That'd what be a fun I'm thinking. Super Bowl. I know people up yeah. here would like it. Yeah. Marcus, I'm really excited to hear more about your wide receiver school. As you get more details, be sure to let us know. We'll oh, get the word out. And I'm excited to see what you do here in your time here. Yes, Appreciate sir. you both stopping in here. This has been great. You're welcome anytime. All right. Thank you so much, man. Marcus Tucker, Jocelyn Hall. Let's take our last time out. When we come back, there's a new man patrolling the sidelines in Dallas. Plus, it's decision day for one of the most star-studded players in college football. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, it's available on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple I Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and check out the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Programming note, don't forget tonight, Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball here on ESPN-UP. 7 o'clock pregame, 7.15 tip as the Patriot gals go up against Gladstone. Should be a fun one, and it's my hope that you join us for that. We've got the new Cowboys coach that everybody's talking about, but we also have a former Cowboys coach that nobody's really talking about, at least in comparison to the new man on the sidelines in Big D, a former Cowboy coach that ESPN learned a couple of hours ago is going to be a free agent. That's coming up, plus... Tua Tungvailoa has finally made his decision on whether to go pro or stick with Alabama. But before we get to any of that, i got to play this for you. John Tortorella, head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Most recently, he was the U.S. national team's head coach at the 2016 World Cup. And he is always a great soundbite. You think about the four major sports, there really is no other coach that compares to him in terms of feistiness, in terms of... When he gets mad, he's fun. Like, I feel like Tortorella could be yelling at you, screaming at you, and you'd be hard-pressed not to crack a smile because when he gets mad, it's almost comical. Well, last week, he had a rant following a game where he felt the officiating was not done properly. And this rant cost him $20,000. This audio is courtesy of the Dan Libertard Show with Stu Gotts. Take a listen to this Tortorella audio. The whistle is blown at 19.2 on the clock. For some reason, the clock has run down a second and a tenth to 18.1. For whatever reason, I have no idea. So instead of resetting the clock... We have them tell our captain we're not going to do it. Toronto doesn't step in. Refs don't do their freaking job. And now we lose the game, and we lose our goalie. So the chain of events, if it was done right, we don't lose our goalie, we win the hockey game. So all this technology, right, the technology and getting things right, the stubbornness tonight by the officials and by the league and Toronto, however it's supposed to work, screws us. It's ridiculous. I'm not taking any God. That was all the microphones could pick up before he stormed off. Yeah, I love Torts. Every year or so, he does something just to remind us that Torts is still around. And it's not the National Hockey League. It is the National Tortorella League. National Torts League. The United States of Torts, whatever you want to go with. Hey, I tell you what, speaking of coaches, everybody knows that Mike McCarthy was named the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys earlier today. Former Green Bay Packer head coach, he won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers back in 2010. He has a new job, 
as the head man in Big D. But there's another former Cowboys coach that not enough people are talking about. ESPN learned a couple of hours ago that Wade Phillips will not return as L.A. Rams defensive coordinator next season. Phillips' contract expired, and he is not being renewed. So Phillips, suddenly a free agent at whatever he is. He's, is he 72 now? Whatever age he is, he can still scheme up a pretty good defense. And I wonder, at age 72 or whatever we think he is, will somebody give Son of Bum a call? Either roar. I don't want to speculate too much on that because I do want to talk about some stuff that actually happened today here before we run out of time, and that would involve Mike McCarthy becoming the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I saw a tweet from Adam Schefter that said this was basically a done deal by Saturday night when Mike McCarthy stayed over at Jerry Jones' house, and once Jerry gets his guy to stay over, then you're Jerry's guy. And I'm reading that tweet, and I had to do a double take and check it to make sure that wasn't some kind of parody account, because is Adam Schefter maybe the most credible man in football journalism telling me that Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy had a sleepover to finish a business deal, to finalize a business deal to make Mike McCarthy the next Dallas head coach? I mean... that that's weird to me. I mean, two grown men having a sleepover to finalize a business deal. And don't tell me you're not able to picture it because I'm getting a visual in my head and I wish I wasn't. But I see those two in like, you know, Jerry's big fancy house. I got a roaring fire in the living room. McCarthy's in like those oversized fluffy feety pajamas with the butt flap that opens in the back. Jerry Jones is in like a Hugh Hefner robe. It's got like the big star across the left side of his chest. And I, I wish I wasn't picturing that, but that's what I'm seeing. As apparently that was when it became a done deal behind closed doors that Jerry Jones hired Mike McCarthy as the next head coach of the Cowboys. So now what we got to think about is what is the standard for Mike McCarthy when he goes to Dallas? Okay, let's think about this. I want to say this about Jerry Jones. He gets a lot of criticism, as he should, for being overly involved as an owner and for letting Jason Garrett stay there too long. But let's not forget, he put together a pretty darn good roster this year. Maybe the most talented roster in the NFL. Jerry, as an executive, put together one heck of a roster. They were the number one offense in football, statistically. So what does that mean for Mike McCarthy? What does Mike McCarthy need to do for this group? What is the standard of success with this group and Mike McCarthy? Well, obviously it's making the playoffs, and that's still probably not enough. Although, you wonder if, because (laughs) Jason Garrett was allowed to stay how long? Overstayed his welcome? So, Mike McCarthy... What does he need to do? Is it get to a Super Bowl? And if so, in how many years? How many years does he have to get this done? You know, there's a lot of speculation that the Cowboys actually have their next head coach on the field for them right now. Because you'll get a lot of people that are spewing around rumors saying Jason Witten is destined to be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And if that's the case... Is Mike McCarthy a bridge guy? Did Jerry hire McCarthy with the intention of making him a bridge guy? Coach the team for two to three years until Witten retires, then it's Jason Witten's. Then McCarthy's out the door, and Jason Witten, the Cowboys guy, gets to be their head coach. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know a lot of people believe that. A lot of people are speculating that. And if so, that probably means Mike McCarthy has two to three years to win a Super Bowl. He might have that regardless of Witten. But the window 
cannot stay open as long as it did for Jason Garrett. So what is the standard for Mike McCarthy? Well, with Jerry, it's tough to tell. But you got to believe that he's got to be in the playoffs every year that at least Dallas should be in the playoffs. This year they should have been with the roster they had, and they should have done much more. Does the standard mean, let's say they have a similar roster to this talent-wise next year, does that mean the standard for Mike McCarthy is getting at least a win or two in the playoffs? Does it mean getting to the NFC Championship? And how many years does he have to win a Super Bowl? All of those answers lie with Jerry's intentions regarding Jason Witten. Is Jason Witten being groomed to be the next Cowboys head coach? That's just speculation. That's just rumors as of right now. We are going to keep going into this throughout the week. I know we're basically running on fumes here. I just want to touch on Tua Tungavailoa real quick before we sign off. Tua announced today that he is leaving Alabama early to go to the NFL draft. Now, that was absolutely the right move. Here's the thing with Tua. I really believe that he believes he hasn't reached his full potential at Alabama. Now, he might go down, probably will go down, as the most statistically accomplished quarterback in that program's history. And he still believes there's another gear that he can reach before he goes pro. He knows he could be leaving some money off the table because right now we know he's going to go top 10. But if he doesn't go top 5, then that's about $11 million that he's going to miss out on. If he goes top 10 but not top 5, he'll get about $19 million on his first contract. If he does go top 5, he'll get $30 million, roughly. And right now, there's only one team that logically could take him in the top five. Because the draft order right now has Cincinnati at number one, and they're probably going to take Joe Burrow. In all likelihood, they're going to take Joe Burrow. And then after them, you've got the Redskins and Giants, who both drafted quarterbacks last year, plus the Lions between those two, and the Lions are set at quarterback. So that means the only team that could take to a top five, which would be, again, a difference of about $11 million, would be the Miami Dolphins. Now, will they? I don't know. A lot of people think they could, and they absolutely could. But Tua just seemed hesitant to want to leave that $11 million off the table. Here's the thing. He absolutely did the right thing not coming back to Alabama. Maybe he does have another gear that he could... I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he had another level he could step it up to in the college game. But Tua, man, you've had surgery on both ankles, plus that hip injury that ended your most recent season. I mean, you can't stay healthy. And if you suffer another major injury, in all likelihood, he's going to. to a, in all likelihood, he's got to know, we'll probably suffer another major injury. Do you want that to come while you're playing for free in college? Or do you want to be a multi-millionaire playing in the NFL when that happens? Potentially a career-ending injury. Do you want to be playing for free in college? Or do you want to be making $19 million in the NFL? That's why this was the right choice for Tua. I get, he believes in himself, he believes that he could get to another level with another year of college, and he probably could. But you got to think about your future, and if $19 million at minimum is on the table, this was absolutely the right decision for Tua Tugavailoa. With that, let's call it a day. Don't forget, Patriot Basketball tonight here on ESPN-UP. It's my hope you join me, 7 Eastern pregame, 7-15 tip. Until tomorrow, I'm Tanner Hoops signing off for ESPN-UP-WZM, Ishpeming Marquette.